Hi, David. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Terrific. You've got a good radio voice, I'm noticing. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. It's, it's, uh, it's not for trying. <laughs> got it. Um, I'm, we're already recording. Just to save on time, okay. that's cool with you. Yep, yep, that's absolutely fine. Hi. Hey. So, yeah, because sometimes we, we talk and then we record, and then I want to cover the things we already talked about. It's just weird. So if we could just jump in. Thanks for agreeing to uh, be on my show. Oh, my pleasure. Um, you said you were traveling. Uh, where are you right now? Uh, just got to Las Vegas a couple hours ago. Oh, cool. How long are you going to be there? Just a couple of days. I'm going to be there. I'm going there on a Thursday. Oh, wow. Will you still be there? No, I'm leaving on Thursday, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Um, weird coincidence. So tell me, I got the book, I read it and it's so, um, it seems so well-researched, so in-depth. So it's a little, it's a lot. The book is very well detailed. So it seems like you guys have been working on this thing for 10 years. But how long did you guys work on it? Uh, altogether, it was a little over, um, I guess, a little over a year all in. Oh, that's actually not too bad. Yeah, the turnaround time was pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got it here, the Genesis machine. Mm -hmm. I've got notes that I've been taking on it, but um, it's just so much stuff to, to dive into. And you have very different styles kind of in the book where you're going into history, which I really love. And I, I want, there's other sources that I want to dig into. And then there's a lot of COVID talk, which is very, I guess it's still pretty political. Um, so that's just kind of something that people are real world talking about, or, you know, recently it was a big issue and that's a big part of the book. And then you talk about all these different scenarios, which all kind of make me think about the movie, um, cloud Atlas. There's a part where they're like weirdly growing human meat things. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I have a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So then you start to think of all the crazy movies of all the crazy scenarios and it feels like if we're in the beginning of all of this stuff, it could literally, it could be, we could go in any direction right now with all of this new technology. So then it's a little alarming, actually, to think about. Well, you know, I, I want to be clear. The, the book is, is, is a short overview of this, of this new field of synthetic biology. Right. Biology is really the oldest technology, David. Like it's it's been around for billions of years. the The thing that's really changing is uh, it's starting to digitize now. Mm -hmm. uh, we we've we've spent the last uh, really in earnest fifty years reverse engineering the cell at 
at a molecular level now. And, and because of genomics, we've gotten right down into the operating system of the cell, which is fascinating. You know, the fact that we can read the genome of an organism gives us really a, 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 a bit level understanding of the code of that organism, of, of how it operates. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of material in the book, but the book itself is not, uh, is not a book for scientists. It's a book about it's a book about science, but told through the people and that are doing it through stories that are very relatable. Um, and, and it's, it's meant to be a, an easy read. Yeah. It's, it's easy, but very detailed. So I definitely recommend it. It's I well referenced. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well referenced. Yeah, definitely well referenced. Okay. So just jumping in. So the Genesis machine you wrote, um, with your, writing partner, Amy. She's written a couple books. Is this your first book that you've written? This is my first book. Amy's written uh, a couple of bestsellers. Okay, cool. Um, so this is well, not that's a good team up. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really easy working with her and a, and a total pleasure. So tell me your background in and how you got connected with Amy and how the book came together for you. So my background is in cell biology and genetics. Uh, so I've been, I've been working in this area for quite a while. Um, it's been an interesting path for me through science. I was very fortunate that um, I, I got to work with some of the, the, one of the largest biotech companies pretty much right out of school. Um, after that, I, I was just fascinated by this field of synthetic biology where we were actually starting to program life. Um, and most recently I worked uh, I worked with uh, the company Autodesk, which is uh, best known for its, its computer-aided design software. And then I've done uh, a startup in the, in the synthetic biology space as well that's focused on, on building synthetic viruses, artificial viruses that target cancer. What's that company called? That company's called Humane Genomics. Humane Genetics? Humane Genomics. Oh, genomics, okay. And then how did you get connected with Amy, your the co-author? Yeah, Amy, we, so I give a, a fair number of, of public invited talks okay. uh, and, and uh, uh, we share a speaker's agent that, uh, that introduced us. Oh, there you go, nice. All right, cool. Well, I, it's gonna be, since there's so much material in the book, um, I, I have a lot of uh, conversations with people around artificial intelligence and robotics. And I've personally been coming to the, my realization that before, long before we ever come up with artificial general intelligence, there's gonna be something that maybe is like Neuralink that taps into the power of the human brain, whether or not we really fully understand it. So it seems like that is, and that's sort of synthetic biology, what Neuralink is kind of trying to, well, I guess not, they're trying to attach pieces into the brain. Would you categorize what Neuralink is doing as synthetic biology or is that something different? I wouldn't look at that as synthetic biology. They're not really changing the genome of, of they're just the organism. In, yeah. that, that's neural interfacing. So it's, okay. and brain computer interfaces, BCI. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, you know, we have, you know, these devices as our, as our interfaces today, the computers that we're using, um, you know, but if you're, if you're, if you're a paraplegic, if you've got other, uh, other uh, damage, 
then mm -hmm. sometimes you just can't use these devices. That's where something like Neuralink could be. Uh, it's mm -hmm. really important. So is and, there a company? And, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, and, and they've made, um, you know, some of the tremendous advances in a very short period of time. And they're not the only one. Brain-computer brain interfaces are, uh, are really uh, an important area of development right now. So is there a company that is doing something similar to Neuralink where it's synthetic biology, but it's focused specifically on enhancing the brain? No, not that I'm aware of. Um, there's, you know, with synthetic biology, the goal is to ultimately program the molecular machine that is the cell um, mm -hmm. and the components of the molecular machine, the enzymes, the proteins, um, the metabolic pathways in some cases, if it's, if it's more complicated, to do a function that is useful. Um, it, you know, the, in the book, we, we use the example of, of the mRNA vaccines that were developed for COVID. That's, right. uh, that's a very clear example of synthetic biology where the actual, the, a short nucleic acid protein uh, a program, and the nucleic acid program in this, with the case with the COVID vaccine, it's, it's an RNA program, a, a chemical relative of, of DNA that the cell uses to make proteins. And so you, they use synthetic biology to make that mRNA program. They encapsulate it in a, in, in a lipid particle that can then, um, when injected, fuse with cells, deliver that program to the cell and the cell machinery starts to make the protein, in this case, the spike protein of, of, of the virus, which generates an immune response. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, a very familiar example of how synthetic biology can be used today. But really, there, it, it goes down to you know, the, the ability to make any protein, program any metabolic pathway, and ultimately, uh, and when this is an area that I particularly like, be able to produce uh, the entire genome of, of an organism, uh, essentially allowing that organism to be printed on demand. There's very few examples of that in the world mm -hmm. today because mm -hmm. the field of synthetic genomics or whole genome writing is still so new, but uh, it's clearly where, in, in to my thinking, where the field will go over time as the technologies improve. The application space of something like this, David, is massive because it can be it can be something like a new food. It can, mm -hmm. be a, it can be a medicine. It can be repairing a damaged cell, like a gene therapy, or a, that's causing difficulties. It can be it, it can be making a vaccine. Um, ultimately, it can be programming uh, the entire genome of a of an organism, like a bacterium. And eventually, as the technologies get better, um, further up the evolutionary tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing with co the COVID vaccine, I just got so political. And with, and you talk about, I think like the politics of a lot of this stuff or the ethics of the synthetic biology is that um, the issue, like it, to me, the, co the issue with the COVID vaccine was the mandating of the vaccine and the handling of how it rolled out. And so a lot of people got alarmed by the vaccine because of how it was kind of being forced, you know, on society that, you know, in your book, you were saying, oh, this is, 
there, I wrote the line, you know, people were clamoring for the vaccine. There are other people who are like, whoa, 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 you know, easy. So I'll, it seems like any application that you're talking about, there's going to be that response. And depending how it's delivered, um, it's going to be like wholly rejected or wholly accepted. And then it's going to be this like polarizing event again, whether it's the food, it's, you know, these vaccines. So that seems like it's going to be a reoccurring problem with how any of this is introduced. Do you have any ideas on how that can be handled? Well, I think, I think it's one of those things where just anything related to biology uh, tends to be um, very polarizing. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like I, I come at, the, at biology from a, from a somewhat mechanistic point of view. I'm interested in the machinery of the cell and how the genome, which is the software of the cell, you know, really work. You know, how, how does this work at a low level to make a, you know, just a single organism? And I really do like to work bottom up. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, most of my work is related to microbes. Um, but that being said, the machinery that's in a living cell is universal, plant, animal, or microbe. It's basically the same squishy hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, as for, you know, but, but it, it, so it tends to be polarizing. It's also the only tech, biology is the only technology where that we didn't create. So it's always, it's always going to be in a gray zone. We didn't make it. We're, we've learned to take it apart and understand parts of how it works. Uh, we've learned to program the genetic code to make you know, to, to make certain programs. Um, but we didn't make the first living cell. People don't necessarily trust the programmers. It, it's still a field that is not widely practiced, like, uh, as opposed to something like computer programming, which today pretty much anyone can pick up and learn. The computers are available and cheap. There's more cell phones than there are people on the planet. And, and even though it's a complicated technology, we know everything about that technology and the supply chains because we built it all. So there's, right. you don't, it doesn't, it, it's not polarizing to the point where people are, are saying you're playing God, you know, by yeah. working with yeah, yeah. a cell phone. Right. So, so, you know, you know, everyone's going to come at it with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps one of the more challenging things is, is individual behaviors with something like a pandemic can have ramifications for others. Whereas yeah. that's not going to be the case if you decide to take a, a cancer medicine or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in one of the, is this one of your lines are humans just squishy machines? Did you guys come up with that, or is this like a common thing people ask? Um, I, this is one I, of my favorite sentences in the book. I I can't say for certain that it was me or Amy, but but yeah, we are we are squishy machines. All living cells are kind of squishing machines. So in in that yeah definitely. So in and then uh, can cells be programmed like computers? You believe yes, but, squishy so, machines and cells can yeah. be programmed for sure. Yeah, so an, another uh, interviewer just asked me that the other day, and I, and my answer is like for for the microbes that I work with, which are clonal and and very compact, um, ancient machines in some ways. They I believe the the analogy of the computer actually holds pretty well because they really do all behave very similarly, even though they're 
they're, you know, each individual cell is a different organism, they, they really do behave in a very predictable way. So in that case, um, I think the, their genome and the way the cell operates is pretty similar to a computer program operating in a computer system. Uh, that being said, we humans are made of, of trillions of cells. And even though those cells uh, have the same program, not all of it is turned on in every cell. Um, some of it, uh, uh, so there it's more like a, a computer network. Mm -hmm. So the, there the genome acts less like a program and more like a recipe. And, and as anyone that's ever you know, given a recipe to different chefs, you, you, you get very different results sometimes, even with the same instructions. Mm -hmm. So, so there it's, it's a much more complicated dance. It's, it's different. It's, it really is the difference between, you know, a single computer and, and a global network of computers in terms of complexity. Yeah. As I was thinking about it more, yeah, it, it's, it's just all so crazy that it even is the way it is. It's so complex. It's, a, it's amazing that it works. Like yeah, we start so, and we don't even think about it. You know, we just, yeah. we just like go through our day and we don't think about how like amazing this entire, this whole thing is, you know? So it's yeah, we, we only tend to notice it when it breaks or, right. and, and sometimes we get powerfully moved when, you know, when we have our, our children, you know, because then you really get totally to see agree. the entire process start to finish. And it, it is truly amazing. And, yeah. and it's not a giant program. Like the human genome is 3 billion bits of code. Their plants have bigger genomes. So it's, it's not always, complexity is not always correlated with, you know, with, with the genomic size. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I find it endlessly fascinating, awesome, like, you know, and, and to the point where like, you know, I, I could spend, well, I intend to spend the rest of my life studying it and hopefully my kids will go on and study it as well and at least be appreciative of it. Yeah. One of the best exercises is just to even just be aware of the biology that's around you in your life. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. So with that said, do you, do you have any opinions on consciousness and where it is, uh, you know, how does, for you, do you have any like personal theories on how that ties into us being these like super advanced squishy machines walking around? I think it's, you know, the, I think it's what uniquely distinguishes us from the other organisms on this planet. We have a unique consciousness. We have a unique ability to kind of dream in real time and imagine and create. Um, and, and to, to, uh, you know, to model reality. We're also the only organisms that are even apparently aware of their, uh, of, of its own mortality and can project forward. Like I, I usually say, we're just the only, you know, animals that don't live in nature. We've, we've really, we shape nature more yeah, than nature so shapes us now. Yeah. So, so, so consciousness is really powerful. It's also been very difficult to study um, at a molecular level because the brain is firewalled. Um, uh, and, and so we all create, you know, different models. It's really the most complex machine uh, organ in, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say in the known universe. So um, it's been one of the last 
uh, organ systems to really unlock and study. But we're starting to get some pretty good molecular tools. We've got the human genome now, you know, mm -hmm. which was, uh, you know, which we had the draft since since 2000. We've got the full genome finally completed to, you know, a single base pair level just a few months ago, actually. Um, and that gives us deep insights into the at least the the code changes that led to that has led to our unique brains mm -hmm. so i i think that i think that the the technologies that will continue to evolve and develop that will allow us to interrogate and manipulate and understand human consciousness more are you know are coming yeah definitely so do you feel like in in the future when we're able you know, going off of your book, just I'm going to take some, you know, yeah, when we can clone a human based on what you feel like is possible through, you know, projecting off of this book, do you think that human will have consciousness by default, because we've cl cloned the human genome in that new person? Do you think it's a oh. given that it'll have that consciousness, or whether or not we know how it works, that it'll just, it'll develop, obviously, from the clone? Well, well, person. You know, there's a lot of Hollywood ideas. But I know, clones. I know. Yeah, but but clones are just are just identical twins, not born at the same time. Like, yeah, like it, it's so believe, so so. And if clones have consciousness, I mean, twins. Of course, like if you've ever, have consciousness. if you've yeah. ever met monozygotic twins, they're both conscious. Yeah. Okay, you know, like That's they're a bold statement. No, of course. Yeah. No, no, it's not. It's absolutely. No, I'm kidding. Forward. I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. Of course. But, so so no, like anytime, like no, actually the. I think people get sidetracked by consciousness most of the time and, and consciousness you can think of as just real-time processing of sensory information um, you know, by any organism. Not every organism has human level consciousness, which is our ability to dream and model in real time. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can argue that just about every organism is aware of its environment and responsive to its environment. So uh, in some ways I can, I can, uh, rationalize even a bacterium being conscious. It's just not human conscious. It's just on its level of yeah. consciousness. Yeah, and, and it might be more, you know, programmatic in its reactions, but mm -hmm. not necessarily. It's sensing its environment. And certainly if you have pets and animals, you realize they, they have a lot of, you know, awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have their own level of consciousness. What I think, so again, consciousness is kind of this, this thing we focus on, but I think what's what's in some ways more interesting is, can we determine the molecular basis of our memory? Can we, and we already know that there's kind of real-time memory, just stuff that we're, we're you know, doing uh, dynamically. And then there's kind of this consolidation process that happens when we sleep, et cetera, that, that allows us to kind of lock it in. I, I'm fascinated by memory and it's not something, I'm not a neurologist, I don't study it deeply, but the idea of being able to one day understand the molecular basis of memory, the way that we've come to understand the molecular basis of heredity, I think would be amazing. Because are then- there, Are there groups working on that, trying to figure oh, that out? Absolutely, like there's whole fields you know, uh -huh. looking at that, but but that's something that would be amazing. Of course, we lose our memories; they're constantly being processed. Some of them, mm -hmm. you know, with neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah, well, our their our memories are not like computer memory, which is flawless. 
it's you know they get edited and reprocessed because they're do you think that's a bug or a feature i think i think it can be both Mm -hmm. um i've met people with nearly perfect near you know near photographic or photographic memories um uh that's it's really interesting my own memory tends to tends to you know throw away extraneous stuff pretty quickly it falls off the back of the bus mm -hmm. um i can't say i carry a lot of baggage <laughs> just because the memories really get detuned the volume goes down very quickly mm -hmm. um but that that has some disadvantages if i haven't you know seen a person for a decade i might forget 99 percent of you know the information i had about them mm -hmm. so yeah, you know, so there's there's good and bad. I would love for us to learn more about it, simply because memory loss uh, is is a real problem as you get older. Um, uh, I think it would be fascinating if we could also learn to transfer memory in, and edit and manipulate memory in like the way we edit and manipulate genes although that comes with its own set of ethical i know all of it, it all of it leads to like uh-oh it's and i, I know you any probably, any technology any technology. it's always like oh that makes me think of like total recall or yeah. you know, or if you go in a slightly different direction it's like altered carbon like moving yeah. Yeah. you know jumping from it seems like you want to you well, want to i i what i love about science fiction is because is it just opens up our imagination and sometimes in science fiction we go oh that would be really really good that would be really cool and sometimes science fiction sets people on their career paths or mm -hmm. you know starts up research programs mm -hmm. i can i can say this from my own life experience and i'm getting old like but the gap between science fiction and science seems to be getting narrower <laughs> like yeah I don't, is are the yeah the science fiction writers just less creative or the technology is getting so much more like far-fetched it's yeah i think it's i think it's uh i don't yeah. i don't think they're getting less creative i, th I think that really the it hard it's kind of harder to wow us now it's harder to wow us and and but you know, there's some really there's some really good science fiction out there. But uh, you know, I tend to stick with the classics now. It's probably a function of my age. But but I the one that I just love, and it was the one that was just made into a brilliant movie recently, Dune by Frank oh, Herbert. Sure. Like, okay. I, I absolutely loved that book, and there were others. I, I was yeah. you know, Ar Arthur you, C. Clarke. What do you was love about of, Dune? Uh, what I liked about Dune was that it wasn't so dependent on technology it was more really a, a really it, it it put a spotlight on so many things that are just human in nature mm -hmm. politics religion power, systems, power yeah. you know you know just warfare mm -hmm. uh, economics and and for me that really was really that, yeah. yeah and so i found that really fascinating and then one particular part that that resonated one character that resonated was was duncan idaho and if if you know placed and played by jason momoa in in the yeah, he's movie. like the main security general or something i don't i don't know his exact title yeah he's he's like the sword fighter you know yeah. one of the warriors but but um he becomes a very important character in the series of books that herbert wrote and i won't give you any spoilers here but how many of uh, the books have you read I read them all as they came out. I read 
I think I forget it, the exact year Dune was published, uh, mid 60s, maybe as early as 65. I didn't read it until I was about nine or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oh, you read I, Dune when you're nine or 10? Yeah. That's and, so cool. It's such a great book. Yeah, it's yeah, kind I of burned I into gone, my brain. <laughs> I haven't gone past the first book. I did see the recent movie. Oh, no, no, definitely pick up the second book, Dune Messiah. Um, and and uh, if you've if you, the movie is a pretty good uh, is a pretty good interpretation, you know, it won multiple Academy Awards for, yeah. for its technical uh, side. But but it's worth reading the book again. And it's definitely worth reading the second book. Mm-hmm. But none of this stuff ties into like the, the stuff we're talking about. Right. Dune just in general, you like there it's that there's is there a science fiction well no no i think uh, i think it touches on a lot of things one they banned in the book they don't have artificial intelligence they have mentats you know like human computers because at some point they allude to it that there was some sort of battle between the ais and people and Mm -hmm. and that technology has been shut down Mm -hmm. um so um, you know, so there's a lot of really interesting things there. They talk about consciousness, the guild navigators and spice allow them to warp space, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and navigate, you know, the, the, the vast differences between worlds. So the, it, it does tie okay, yeah, no, to the biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, um, so you're testing me on it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just curious. No, I, I got definitely, um, I want to read the second book for sure. I think I was in a bookstore in Sonoma really cool bookstore there's like a little town square and I went I forget the name anyways they have like a really amazing book collection and uh I was looking I had just read Dune with my wife and I'll and I realized there's like 20 30 Dunes now that is has like branched out so much oh, I don't know maybe it's not that yeah. many but it was I, just like wow there's so many of this it's kind of overwhelming I, you know I don't think I could even because the books are not like little 100 200 page books yeah, I don't know Very, how many the the yeah. you know, it is expanded. I think the original had six, and and then there was one. I think there was a seventh. I'm not, but I'm not an expert on any of that. I just know I I you when when the books would come out, I would just curl up and savor them. I'd read yeah, them as slowly cool. as I could. Yeah. So. Okay. Since we're on the topic of Hollywood, because it inevitably <laughs> when you talk about this stuff, you can't not talk about it. I'm probably you talk about it all the time. Reminds me of Gattaca a lot. You've seen that movie? I have. This so, is so this, yeah, Gattaca. I kept thinking of that movie also through this. It's like there's if we're headed in this direction, which it appears that we are, then there's going to be a huge divide between the wealthy and the poor, the have and the have nots, because they're gonna be able to get and use this technology before anyone else. And they're gonna be able to enhance, live longer, live better. Yeah, like that's I don't see how that can yeah. get involved, but you see that coming. So so Gattaca raised the idea of of genetic uh, bias and hierarchies and, and divisions in society. Um, and and I imagine and it all stems from, you know, that original family. They have a kid, a kid. Or, yeah, I think they have one son. Well, yeah. And the other one that's through synthetic biology kind of programmed to be a superior son. 
They're like or, the, or selected. They never really go into the technology, but but even if you can select embryos uh, that have particular traits, you can or, choose. Or selected. Like that. Oh, I've never thought of. Yeah, that. so it might not like they really weren't getting into the engineering of it back then. But um, no, but it, it, it's a fascinating. The movie holds up. I rewatched it just recently, mm, um, and and I, I think it raises some very interesting points about how much our genes make us and and the reality is we already know that we it doesn't make that big of a difference if you're one human being on a code level is not much different than another um uh, and and so many of the traits that we uh related to our behavior and intelligence and and even our height are multi-gene traits and there's no there's no real model for it at yeah. this point yet yeah. and and That's and but but the the thing that i tend to point out is at the beginning some of these technologies may be accessible mainly to the wealthy like any new technology even cell phones the the classic scene with mike douglas on the beach mm. with his brick-sized cell phone right, yeah but you know very quickly yeah. with with technologies you know it becomes something like our phone which today there's more cell phones than people so so there's the it, it tends to start with a smaller community and then and then uh, become available widely i really believe that biology should be the one technology that is not uh restricted to the wealthy because it is the cheapest form of manufacturing like you know to grow a plant you put a seed in the ground and nature does the rest sunlight and water and nutrients um, right now the expensive part about making a drug is not making the drug it's going through this really um, onerous clinical trial process designed to protect us and make us safe um, which is itself kind of a, a two-sided coin you know, by making sure the drug does what it's supposed to do and not cause a bunch of side effects it will help apparently a, a population of people on the other hand by taking 10 or 15 years to get a drug approved you're not helping a lot of people <laughs> so there's always a trade-off right. between between safety and efficacy and just availability um, but I, I like to think that this technology of synthetic biology is following a, a similar path to computing in society, which at the beginning, computers were really only available to very small communities, um, uh, militaries, academia, corporations, because they were large investments and they just weren't everyday technology. And, and then they became personal and became almost toy-like in a way. Um, and then we got this explosion of creativity, you know, ever since that has just literally transformed the world. So I, I like to think that, at least in terms of the dynamics, synthetic biology will follow a similar path. It'll go from being kind of an elite technology that really only the largest pharma companies and the academic, you know, very specialized, to something a lot more like the PC revolution, where you'll, as more people come into it and the tools become more digital and more accessible, you don't need to have a lab in your home to start to participate or learn about this sort of thing. Um, then, then it it really could break out and just uh, and just become you know a, a a foundational technology for all humanity. Yeah, hopefully. I I think if it doesn't 
go that way, then um, in, in, I think, actually, I just think the dynamics will drive it that way. As it There's just no way it won't be that way for you. Yeah, it's just like, even now, like, you know, it, I started seeing these tensions arise decades ago where there was a drug available that could save someone's life. But but the only way to get that drug was by paying a really expensive amount of money, uh, and uh, and and you know even in the U.S. you often don't get the access to some of those to those state of the art drugs unless your insurance plan covers it and your you know, all the all the headaches around that process. I'm Canadian, by the way, so uh, the U.S. the U.S. drug system and hospital systems for me are always leave me scratching my head a fair amount mm -hmm. but but that being said um you know it, for for you know billions of people um they they have zero access to that drug so clearly there's going to be as these technologies become more available in digital which is happening around the world today we're going to see the appearance of competitors you know to to the to the established pharma giants yeah I guess I'm just concerned because there's that, and you talk about China a lot also in the book, but there's a company, I forget exactly, China BGI. BGI, it used to yeah. stand for Beijing Genomics Institute, but, oh, okay. then, but, but it's no longer in Beijing. Beijing. <laughs> oh, where are they now? Yeah, Shenzhen. Oh, okay. Well, in, in it, you're saying that they are claiming that they can increase an IQ score by 20 points. Well, they had a whole program uh, at one point, being led by a, a young genius researcher, going out and and doing uh, essentially genomic profiling of thousands of geniuses, looking to see can we actually identify some of the inheritable markers of genius? Like one, are there inheritable? Are there markers of genius that we can identify? And two, can we start to actually? increase intelligence and I, I honestly I, I and honestly I don't know if that has it, it, where that research has gone in recent yeah. years but, but why, um, why were they saying that they can increase it so how does that is that something they're claiming that they could do for a child that you're about to have they're not actually, talking I, and I can't remember that exact quote in the book off the yeah. top of my head or the yeah. reference. Yeah. Um, but but I would I would expect that just as we as we get a better understanding of the cellular and neuronal architectures, we'll find druggable targets for for um, cor that correlate with intelligence. I won't say that we're going to be able to jack it up twenty points or thirty points or fifty points or hundred points. Um, I don't know, but we will certainly have a better understanding of it and probably be start to be able to change some of the dials there. Is that? Okay. I don't yeah. know, but you know, consider yeah, like, will we ever get a pill like in what's that movie, Limitless? Limitless. You know that no. the, it always you always <laughs> have to talk about the movie. And that's my honestly, as I'm reading the book, that's my biggest concern. And as I have more and more of these conversations, I just don't want to be on the outside of that road. <laughs> I, I know I you're I, laughing, and I'm I'm laughing too, but I'm actually. That's my biggest concern. That, <laughs> There's a lot of drugs that make you feel smarter. <laughs> whether, whether I, I want one that's actually verifiable. <laughs> actually, that, I would like that's my biggest concern with all of this. I, would, I don't want to be left out of oh. this technology is going to happen. I'm open to being the first, like I'm open to being the first trial for these types of things. 
but for me, it's for me, it's more um, that I, like like it's not longevity for me. The one for me that has always motivated me is just cancer because cancer is oh. really a horrible disease that will strike either you or your it's family. Stupid, it's kind of a stupid disease that gets so many people. Well, and I've always looked at it as, well, I describe cancer as an infection of your body with your own cells. But if you go back and look at the, the data from 100 years ago, the things that killed us were microbial infections. And, and wow, like uh, microbial infections are, you know, there's still a problem in, 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 like if you get septicemia, but most microbial infections never advance that far because we're, we've got so many antibiotics. We're, we're still, um, you know, the challenge with cancer has, has been you're trying to target your own cells that have gone rogue uh -huh. um, in your body. And that's a really tricky problem, whereas a lot trickier than killing off a microbe. But, you know, what it turns out is, well, no two cancers are exactly the same. And so it really, the whole premise of trying to find one drug that treats, you know, a whole class of cancers is, is really difficult. Um, and, and even if you find a drug that treats a class of cancers, all it has to do is the cancer cells just have to become resistant to that one drug. And now, uh, you know, they, they continue on like a, like a antibiotic resistant microbe. And it's just like, yeah, that is that the best you can throw at me? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and what we realize now is no, every cancer is different. It's a mixed population of cells and we kind of have to train, change the entire drug development paradigm if we're going to beat cancer. And it's taken, you know, it's taken my lifetime and longer to kind of come to that realization. And it's only now that we're starting to entertain the idea of, of making truly personalized cancer medicines. The, the, the CAR T therapy, CAR T therapy chimera that uh, from Novartis is really one of the first that, that are, you know, that are, is a truly N of one treatment for cancer. And, and the data there is is it has been stellar. How do you spell um, that company name? Cartes, Cartes, it, it, well, CAR T CAR T therapies is chimeric antigen receptor T cells, but oh, it's, it's where a company specifically. No, what it is oh. is it's a process where they for a cancer to exist in your body, your your immune system for whatever reason doesn't recognize that the cells are are, are misbehaving. Right. So, and there's a variety, there's a, there's many different pathways that cancer cells um, uh, use to kind of hide from the immune system. But what they're able to do with a CAR T therapy is they take out your T cells, part of your immune system, okay. and they, and they reprogram them to recognize the cancer because the cancer does have, the cancer cells do have of what they call neoantigens on their surface that are different than normal cells. So they, they analyze the cancer, they reprogram the T cells to recognize these cancer specific antigens. And then they infuse them back into the body after they've grown them up. And, and now these, these part of your immune system cells, it's yeah, your immune system cells back into the body. And now they're, they're they've been like trained to hunt down and and target the cancer cells and eliminate them, and it's phenomenal. Like and then, it, do they break down once they oh they 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 kill they, 
Oh, they, these are these are immune, your immune cells. Their normal job is to police for you know for yeah, yeah. for invaders. They, like these ones, do they then um, break down quickly to kind of go out of the system? Or oh they, yeah, the immune cells all turn off eventually. Oh, you know, okay. if they're not being challenged. But but like these, yeah, the like the um, the this um, uh, uh, immunotherapy is is incredible. Mm -hmm. So and that's just one class of of personalized cancer therapy i think we'll see more of them but but in general what i like to say is if you really want to see the forward edge of biotechnology mm -hmm. um, follow what's happening in in the oncology space because trying to do a repair uh, of a of a genetic disease of a broken cell is a lot harder than being able to target and just deactivate a cell like mm -hmm. we need to do with, with an antibiotic or an anti-cancer agent. So I think cancer will be, you know, kind of the bellwether of, of how these technologies are developing. And, and, you know, there, but there's, it's not the only one, you know, that for, you, for example, just, yeah. you know, for example, we should have insulin that's really affordable. Um, uh, one of the most there, it's not uh, like it's, it's old technology, but the, the skewed pricing dynamics has made insulin harder to you know for people to afford. I do want to point out that there is a, a, a are you you must know Mark Cuban. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, he, I saw him speak at at a at a meeting I was just at in San Diego, and he was talking about a the company he just founded um, called Cost Plus Drugs. Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs, and basically they're taking He's been taking out the middleman in drug pricing. Yeah. Um, and it is absolutely shocking at how, at, at how affordable some drugs are when you take out all the bureaucracy that is, that is grown and manifested between the manufacturer and the patient. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, that's really, you know, not to put a plug in, but if like it, Mark says, I, I don't care if I make another dollar so I'm able to go and do this in a way that, you know, that no one else can. Yeah, this episode is now sponsored by Cost Plus. <laughs> yeah, Cost Plus thank Drugs. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for free. For free. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so for you, it's cancer. That's the most maybe scary and promising thing that synthetic biology can fix. I think, yeah. I think that's one of the health area that could potentially touch, you know, a third of our population. Yeah, no, like, but for you, it's not. How, how old are you? <laughs> old enough you know, okay. i'm in my late 50s okay do you want to live past you know like you did mention towards the end um you did a little pl plug for uh aubrey de gray i never even i said don't know it. if it was a plug for aubrey aubrey's been such a champion of longevity but he's not the only one yeah, and, yeah. and it's kind of turned from it's it's kind of moved beyond an evangelism to you know to multi-billion dollar investments now by by various groups trying to understand the aging process, which is such a, a wellspring of diseases um, as we get older systems start to break. Yeah. Um, but in general, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of a longevity skeptic simply because um, the advancements that we're starting to see really uh, generate data, like give real results are still largely in mice. We haven't, we, um, we have not yet 
really got convincing data that it's going to affect our lives um, so but much as maybe our sending the lights of these mice. Oh yeah, like so if you're a mouse, this is a really great time to be alive because they could probably cure your cancer and, and have you age healthy uh, and even correct uh, you know some of the diseases of aging. So so um, good news for mice. That's great. Good news for mice. Um, maybe it'll be really good news for for our dogs because I think dogs are going to be our companion dogs, not research dogs. Our, our four-legged family members are going to be uh, a big part of, of opening up personalized medicine for us. Um, it'll eventually get to us. And eventually get to us. But remember, like we're, we're very risk averse. And, and um, particularly when it comes to, and, and, and there's a lot of people that- Do you wanna live till you're till you're 100 years old? I'm not optimizing for that, David. I'm, I'm optimizing uh, for, you know, for not doing, not putting off things that I think are really important to do. And I also, I also try to keep as much of my time uh, unsold as possible. Like just keep it my own time um, because time is still one of those resources that you just can't buy. Um, and most of us aren't even really, you know, don't even prioritize our time until we realize we're kind of running out of it as we get older. <laughs> yeah. But I, so yeah. You just, yes, can happy belated birthday. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about it. I did, I'm breathing heavily only because it's like, yeah, it's, this is, uh, this is probably the, one of the main topics that extending my life. I really would love to extend my life span like dramatically. And then separately is thinking that there's a group of people using this technology to become limitless, like, you know, ultra human <laughs> intelligence. And then we're all, everyone else is enslaved and dying, you know, when they're 85. And this group of people live to be thousands of years old and they look gorgeous and, they, and they're the smartest and they have everything. This, uh, well, that's that's this, totally a sci-fi trope, but but of um, course, but yeah, it's just but like yeah, like there's definitely groups that would like people to age healthier, and they obviously they're going to go after a large market. It's it's one thing to target a few wealthy individuals, but you know, in general, uh, if you've got your market would be essentially everyone. So, <laughs> so I think, again, it ends up looking more like cell phones yeah, than, yeah, than an elite yeah. technology. When it, when it comes to, when it comes to IQ, um, I, you know, like, I don't, I would, I, how do I put it? Uh, let's just say there's a lot of people that have neurological challenges that I think are far more, um, uh, worthy of, of R&D um, than, than intelligence right now, like schizophrenia and depression and, and traumatic stress disorders, like just traumatic disorders. Um, all these things are real, like can be debilitating. Alzheimer's, just neurodegenerative disorders. So I think, I, I think in general, there's, we're going to see a lot more R&D go into the neurospace for a variety of reasons right. and certainly some of them may be to enhance intelligence or keep our focus um you know, well, yeah that's the thing you mentioned i think amy has like suffers from well she has something was it just ocd or 
but there was, it sounded like you were kind of talking about. I think we're all neurodiverse. Like put it this way. Most of the people. But you can kind of turn it on and off, you know, like if you want to focus on something like laser in on something, well, maybe there's something you could take or inject and then you kind of laser in and you go into that mode and then you, you know, I guess it would kind of gradually well and i think there are some medications like that on the already available the adderalls etc i've never taken any of those my my neurodiversity i tend to describe as oc no d because Mm -hmm. i tend to get very fixated on certain things and but i really i just use it as a uh, as you know what i go all in on in terms of my passions my study my research my speaking my just organizing my life so for me it's never been a disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, in fact, it's I, I tend to describe it as a feature, not a bug. But mm-hmm. but I certainly, you know, if I was um, if I was a, a kid today, I would probably you know be be classified into some uh, you know one of the neurodiverse buckets. Um, mm-hmm. I just think you know we the world's a complex place, and you can find your place in it hopefully and thrive. Um, but you know, some of that, some people may, will, may choose to do neuro, um, explorations. I, I just think I'd like to see it. Um, I'd like to see a lot of the explorations, uh, you know, kind of be done by people that, uh, old enough to know who they are before they start changing the settings. Oh yeah. I totally, that I definitely agree with that kind of goes into maybe, um, one of the last things I was wanting to talk to you about, which is genetic engineers. If somebody wants to get into this world, do they have to have been born a genius? Do they have to go to MIT, drop out, go to Harvard for a little bit, get <laughs> by a startup? or can somebody, let's say hypothetically me, I want to become a genetic engineer and I want to do synthetic biology. Is it, is this something that I can do or would I have to more approach it like tapping into a company like BioBricks and I'm stuck in the marketing world, I can't get into the real R&D of it. No, that's a great question. Um, So, uh, uh, you know, synthetic biology is the intersection of three big technologies. One of them is is biology or life science, clearly. The other one is automation, like robots. And and the other one is computation. Um, and, And so, you know, and if you put computation and robotics together, you get things like AI and, and machine learning. If you take if you take computation and biology, you get genomics and bioinformatics and, and just you know, data science. There are so many different ways to get into this um, that that you know the, the vast entry points. But but it's with synthetic biology in particular, it helps to have an understanding of digital technologies. And mm-hmm. so that's like every kid born today. <laughs> like yeah. they're the, so so the digital, you know, understanding programming and digital technologies is a great way in because that's really the foundation that we're standing on to start to do life science faster, better, cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, robotics and automation, semiconductor technologies, software engineering. Software engineering for computers is pretty similar to software engineering for biology. And in fact, biology has a simpler programming language. Um, and, but certainly we take, we need software tools today to be able to start to program cells just because it's a, it's a very, we're, we're working at a, at a machine code level. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so there's lots of entry points. What I usually recommend is, you know, again, have a background in programming. Certainly- Do people most, ask you this question? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I okay. talk with a lot of students, yeah. um, um, uh, you know, that are just, you know, that are trying to find not only what technologies or entry points into the field they may want to do, but they're also looking at it, like, how do I make a career out of this? Because right. it, typically, if one was interested in life science, you would go and do an undergraduate and then you would start to do a, a, a master's or PhD program. I usually recommend if you're going to do this, do a PhD program. Otherwise, you're going to be in kind of middle management. Um, but, but then the academic uh, institutions just, they've overproduced PhDs and so they can't absorb them all into academia. So then you kind of have to go into either industry and get a job with, with a pharma company or similar, or you have to create your own company. And that's what's happening today because the, the technology is digitizing and accelerating and it's opening up, you know, really whole new terrains for exploration. A lot of scientists are becoming entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. Because there's there's a lot of money sloshing around out there. Not all of it is at the National Institutes of Health. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if there's there's plenty of compelling problems that we can start to address mm -hmm. with biology, you know, clean air, clean water, food, medicine, and materials, and so on. And mm -hmm. so we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurism. So even if you aren't a scientist or never want to spend a day in a lab. You can still work in synthetic biology if you're just good at being a project manager, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, understanding how money works, doing even marketing and communications around these, these topics, which are still unfamiliar with people. Like the term synthetic biology is not as, uh, people have nothing to hook onto even compared to a term like artificial intelligence where both, at, 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 both go really deep in the verticals, but mm -hmm. the term AI has been around long enough that people still have some concept of it and mm -hmm. how and, uh, for understanding it. Synthetic biology or genetic engineering is, is we're, still, uh, we're still a few years away from that. Eventually, I believe that you know, the term synthetic biology will be as familiar as, as computing. Yeah, but, I actually, I do agree with you. I like the, the reference, the company Biobricks, they're making the references to Legos. Well, Biobricks, Biobricks was actually a, a, a more of a functional description of how we, it was a group based out of MIT that started modularizing the components of synthetic biology, the physical yeah. DNA, so that they could kind of be plugged and slotted together like Lego. But that's kind of, you know, um, but it's already, that was that was 20 years ago almost. What's right. happening today is all of that modularization is now done with software tools. And, and usually it's just cheaper to synthesize the resulting DNA once you've finished the edits with it. Um, and, that, and they're doing that editing through the software side. It's not some guy with the tiniest little tweezers. No, 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 no. That's all just, you know, stock imagery. <laughs> so the main software is CRISPR? Is that, is no, no, that? no. CRISPR is a, is a gene editing tool. If you can't synthesize the DNA, you have to develop tools for doing cut and, and replace, essentially. So I guess I don't understand this, if you could explain this. I go to a computer because I want to just start editing DNA. We so so let's keep it at a at a really practical level. You want okay. to you want to make a modification to a protein. A protein typically is about a thousand bits of genetic code, A's, T's, G's, and C's strung together. 
Um, and it could be larger, it could be a little smaller, but let's just call it a thousand. And if you know the changes you wanna make, mm -hmm. typically in the past, you would have to physically edit the genetic code, this molecule, think of it as a chain of, uh, of, 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 uh, of chemical links, you know, A's, T's, G's, and C's. And you'd have to physically cut that chain and add a new piece or, do, or, 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 or make a change just in one how, of the nucleotides how was it and put it together. Cut? How was it physically cut? We use, we use enzymes that recognize stretches of DNA uh -huh. code and make a precision cut. And, and then we people... had other enzymes that would stitch it together. And then we'd have to run an experiment like sequencing to see, did it do what we expected it to do? Are people watching it as this is happening? No, or... you, it's, no this is all at the molecular level. So There's it's no a way to visually watch it as a time. Not in real time, not with current yeah. technologies. So oh, no. So, so this is why synthetic biology, this move to kind of digitize it um, really took hold. It's because every experiment that required genetic engineering required more experiments just to validate the results. But mm -hmm. now if you have that genetic code in kind of a word processor, and you say, oh, I want to take this, this nucleotide, which is a T, and now I want to change it to, an, you know, to a different one, a C, then, then now you just type. <laughs> and the difference is we have printers today that can synthesize that DNA chain from, from the links, the, the individual links, the individual A's, T's, G's, so C's. What is, what is the platform or software that people are using for... For is this type one? of editing, there's there's multiple different editors. Yeah. Um, some of them are more intelligent than others. Mm. Um, uh, the one that has really become quite popular and used by many different groups now uh, is called Benchling. 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 L I N G. Oh, ben okay. Benchling, and it's kind of you know it's kind of the GitHub for synthetic biology. It's it's a really uh, it's a really sophisticated set of tools. And by they're not the only one. I don't want to put all of the oh, yeah. like on Benchling, but there's, there's, there's other tools that have been developed. Um, some of them are commercial, some of them are open, some of them are, some of them are more specialized for particular jobs. Uh -huh. But it's the, the software platform is getting is, is, is changing all the time because you, you can't do this type of work without some software tools. Um, and, and then again, CRISPR is a, is a technology for making edits to an existing genome in a, in a reliable way, um, with very few off target edits, so to speak. Um, so Benchling using CRISPR or no, 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 no. CRISPR oh. is a molecular system. Okay. Benchling is a software tool. <laughs> okay. You could design CRISPR constructs using Benchling. But no, and I recognize that this is this type of, um, you know, trying to understand these technologies is challenging because we, you just don't get a lot of, you know, they're not taught really, uh, at least to adults <laughs> once you've left school. Uh, the, the students that are in school are learning about these things all the time now because the life science programs have, have, have evolved as, mm -hmm as the technologies have, have appeared and come into use. But even just conceptually trying to understand what is CRISPR? How does it work? Mm -hmm. How does a cell work? 
um, you know, it, it, it's just not as familiar as some of these digital tools. Yeah, the most advanced we got was, uh, yeah, we were uh, rudimentarily taking part of frog, I think. Yeah. And, and I, okay, that's that, that's that. It's like, that's, that was so useless. Yeah. This kind it, of stuff it, is like really promising. So the, the, you know, the entry point for synthetic biology that my kids can, can access, my kids are, are four and seven, is, is a little robot that I really like called BioArtBot. BioArtBot. Okay. And I think it's a dot org. Yeah. And, and it is literally a robot um, that is a, uh, located in a laboratory in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And it is a, uh, it's got a little interface where you can draw a picture, but when, when you go to print that picture, it's actually, de- it's a robot depositing genetically engineered bacteria that, pr- that have been engineered to produce different colors. So it ends up making a, a, uh, an image with living organisms that, that grows as it develops. And it's, cool. it's, it's really fascinating. So it's got all of the, uh, the basic processes of synthetic biology, okay. working I'll with cells and robots. Yeah, um, you're not doing any genetic engineering. The the biological inks that you're using have been pre-engineered, so to speak. Okay. But it is, I look at it as as one of the really cool entry points into just understanding how you can do biology remotely using some yeah. of these digital tools. Very cool. Okay, I'll take a look at that too. So you gave me some more stuff to dig into. <laughs> well, any final thoughts? Any? Uh, yeah, I, I you know what I try and. What I try and, you know, I hope it conveys um, is biology is not something we should be afraid of. Um, it is the, it's the only thing we all have in common. It's what makes us. I think it is the most important technology that we're, we're not only reverse engineering, continuing to get a more detailed look into understanding how it works, but are now starting to forward engineer and use it as another technology tool. I think it's the most important one we've got because you know, although we live in engineered environments, it's the living world that sustains us and all the other creatures. And so we have to, we have to nurture and protect the living world. And I think a big part of the way humans do that is we, we have, we're invested in it. Um, and so I, I, see, I see this technology as being perhaps the most important technology of this century. Yeah. Um, and, and there's certainly going to be some hiccups and some learning along the way, as we've had with computers, as we've had with networking, as yeah. we've had with social networking, um, uh, and just media in general. I think there's going to be a learning curve. And, but I, I, just as with computing, even though there's been hacks, there's been vulnerabilities, we haven't collectively come along and said, hey, all these computers need to get turned off. Let's go back to pen and paper. Um, uh, I think that, you know, I think that biology will, will, will make it through the hump and just become, uh, you know, a, a part of the foundation for civilization. Yeah. Um, 
it's a really it's a really fascinating time to be alive because we're seeing you know again just such rapid progress in automation computation and now life science that mm -hmm. it, it can be a little overwhelming mm -hmm. but but as it starts to um, produce applications that are touching our lives on a day-to-day -day basis and I think food will be the biggest one right. um, because food is the it's the is the biological application that you know, that literally we, we, we need to sustain us on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that'll be really important. And then there's a chapter in the book that I think really highlights how aerospace, aerospace could um, be one of the big drivers for synthetic biology too, because we can't put chickens and cows and, and, you know, and, and palm trees in spacecraft. So if we're going to build self-sustaining environments Mm -hmm. uh, in either in orbit or if we get really ambitious out on the moon or Mars, we're going to have to learn how to engineer not just the spaces that we live in, but the entire ecosystems that make those spaces uh, support life. You believe that'll happen? Oh, I, I think it'll absolutely happen. Yeah. We we the defining thing about humans is we are, we are explorers and, and we like to go to extreme environments and explore places where we haven't been before because that's where we get to plant a flag and say, hey, you know, we're the first here. This is really yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and, and whether you're working, you know, it, the thing about aerospace, once you're, once you're away from Mother Earth, you've got to really, you've got to be very, very thoughtful about your environment. One pinhole you know, uh, you start to lose atmospheric pressure. You, you constantly have to be aware of every, you know, the composition of, of the air you're breathing, the other, you, you have to have a, you have to be able to, you know, we can't do it yet. We can't grow all of our food in space. We can't completely recycle all of our water. We can't right. generate all of our atmosphere, but we're definitely going to be, you know, moving towards doing that. We'll figure those larger out. Yeah, I like. I want to go to a space hotel before I die and spend a week up there. Like, oh. like that would be super cool. Right. And and to do that, you're going to need you know a completely different infrastructure than we have than we've ever created. It's mm -hmm. going to have to be you know be bigger and and. Well, I think you. Yeah, your interests are very practical. Yeah, like really, like what's the actual like applicable things. I, mine are like really far-fetched gear. <laughs> like, Look, if oh. you were hungry, you would be like, how can this technology, you know, yeah. help me eat? Yeah, yeah. If you were sick or had a sick child, you'd be like, how can this technology help me or my, my, my child? And, and, you know, there's so many ways that we come at this. This is why I, I think it's just going to be one of the largest fields around because it's life is the only thing we have in common. And we all, you know, are trying to optimize and have a good life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed there was a, um, thank you for all that. Uh, on 23andMe, I got an alert that I'm more Neanderthal, Neanderthal. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, that's a bad thing, right? It, I mean, it, it explains a lot of my interactions with other people. And I was like, okay, cool. It makes sense. That, and I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I got an alert that I'm, there's like a, like an update of like, oh, you're, you have more Nigerian than we thought. You're definitely more Neanderthal than anticipated. I got these alerts and I'm like, oh, this is starting to make a lot of sense. 
But it's, your, it's when you get the alert that you've got a half brother or sister that you didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mine was when your book, you're like, hey, they weren't, they weren't, Neanderthals weren't half bad. Maybe there's some good things, you know. So that was that was an uplifting. So people that got these 23andMe alerts that they're more Neanderthal than anticipated. Yeah, it's good. Not news. something it's to not worry. bad. News. Not something to worry about. No, yeah, for not sure. at all. And then um, the other thing on that one, yeah, it's just so funny. I was reading about that. Um, I guess that pretty much sums it up for me. Yeah, it's, I just, uh, for me, all my thoughts are like so far-fetched and get so nerve-wracking, but for you, it's just more applicable stuff that this- Well, I tend to focus on relatively near-term. It's just, um, you know, there's always the, you know, the hype cycle. And, and I, get, I get as excited about these technologies as, as anyone, but I try, and, um, I try and keep it at a practical level. Um, not so practical that, you know, I, I won't, you know, put some money behind, uh, you know, some of the, the more futuristic sounding ideas, but, but I, I, I don't want to blow it up too much or get people's expectations because it's, it's funny. It, it, overnight successes still take sometimes decades in, in, oh, yeah. in, in the oven for yeah. it to appear. What's really exciting though, for me, is if you look at the incredible advances in DNA sequencing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, the first genome was sequenced, you know, draft in 2000 after, you know, a, a massive international effort worth billions of dollars. And today there's companies like Illumina or Ultima Genomics that are promising, you know, a $100 genome turned around in just a few hours. In fact, a new world record in sequencing the human genome was just done earlier this year, and it was uh, under six hours. It was, it was five hours and change. And, and that's staggering. You know, like that, the incredible uh, increase in, in performance in these technologies. What I, years, yeah. And the thing that I, you know, most people aren't ready to hear yet or understand or even comprehend is that the price performance of writing DNA is going to follow a similar arc. Today, it's, today we can only write small genomes cost-effectively, um, but you know, I can imagine in 20 years we'll be able to write just about any genome for about the same cost as, as sequencing it. That's kind of mind-blowing. The other thing that I really... Um, uh, I'm, I'm starting to see and appreciate more is that electronic technologies like in our phones and computers are now, um, which is nanoscale, like the, the components on a chip are, are done at the nanoscale. Those are now starting to be directly interfaces faced with single molecules, single biomolecules, biological molecules that are also nanoscale, but carbon-based, not silicon-based. And so building that you know, it's like a neural link for molecules. Mm-hmm. That that is such now a talking. now you got my interest again. Yeah, and that's that's called you know uh, essentially uh, these molecular uh, you know electronics that yeah. I think this is just amazing. Um, and just a couple of weeks ago, I went to go see a company called Roswell Biotechnologies. Roswell, like they said, this is almost an alien technology. Um, that's why they, they named the company as they did. But it's, it's really one of the, the early leaders in, in molecular electronics. And it is, for me, just something that I think is going to be game changing as, it, as we learn how to do that technology better. Yeah, definitely. So... Uh, now that just makes me think there's these guys that were putting poems and uh, 
this I don't understand. In in the book, you talk about it. There's people and they get kind of a bad rap for doing it. They're putting song lyrics or poems or books inside DNA. Oh, uh, so this was this was Craig Venter and his team when they first synthesized a the first bacterial cell genome, um, and this was done in 2010. Remember, DNA is just a, it's like magnetic tape. It's like you can store digital information digitally. And so they put into the genome of the organism um, uh, all sorts of little Easter eggs, including the emails of some of the, uh, uh, the names of the, of the people that did the genetic engineering, the, the email addresses, some quotes from James Joyce and others. Um, and but how, but how if, you just, oh. if you stumbled on that DNA, how would you ever read it? Oh, well, you sequence the DNA. And then the, you you run it through software. And just how are how do we encode music digitally? Like you have to have a digital analog, you know, conversion. You know, remember ASCII. <laughs> anyway, there are there are literally DNA uh, you know, lexicons that you can that you can convert any any information digitally into uh, into DNA and vice versa. So we can already encode movies and books into DNA. And in fact, DNA is turning into um, a long-term data archiving medium because DNA as a chemical is very robust, whereas most of the digital storage technologies that we have, whether it's magnetic tape or remember the rewritable CD-ROMs, et cetera, all that technology tends to age out very quickly. So if you want to save a photograph of you and your children for a thousand years, how do you store it? So someone a thousand years from now is gonna be able to retrieve it. You know, the thinking there is you write it in DNA code because that's still gonna be relevant and interpretable where, where in a thousand DNA? years. Where the DNA, so DNA can be stored in, in a variety of formats, um, just, but the, the most efficient format is just as a dried pellet of, of the actual molecule of DNA. And where would you keep this pellet? <laughs> well, you can, you can keep it in a tube. In a okay. keep it where do you keep the tube? So it lasts forever. Frozen. You can keep it in a little bit of liquid frozen. You can, okay. you can put it so, on a ball set and put it in space. You can encode you, that DNA in another cell and keep it living. Do you think that there's <laughs> hidden messages in our DNA now that we don't know how to read? <laughs> uh, uh, not written by others. With, but most what about a previous uh, well, human civilization? Well, well no, I, I, I think that's a little far-fetched, but here's something that's kind of wild. About 8% of our DNA is the deactivated virus backbones that brought in DNA, genetic code from infections over evolutionary time. So like we have just a ton of, of literally viral carcasses that are leftovers in our, in our DNA from, from retroviruses that brought in genetic code you know, throughout evolution. So, so, but are there any secret messages there? Like, oh, you know, read this or DNA backwards. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We don't know about written by no, But, but, you know, that'd be kind of interesting. Do you remember the movie Johnny Mnemonic with, with, uh, you know, yes. like, you know, there they're putting, you know, information in someone's brain. But yeah, uh, we, we can actually encode digital information into a living cell. All right. 
I'm not convinced there's not a hidden message in there from this conversation. <laughs> well, you know, maybe we should think about that at like IVF clinics, just putting in a little bit of uh, genetic uh, mini chromosome with, uh, you know, with some with some background information. Oh my god, that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing this book. It's really awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. It opened up a lot of doors, so I'm going to pursue those, but I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome, and good luck on your next career as a synthetic biologist. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Terrific. Thanks, okay. David. Bye.